people talk about paid for your worth pay me my worth like I need to be paid for my worth and then I had this like epiphany I was like well if you're paying me my worth it would be billions and billions of dollars and you'll constantly Mm. be paying me so you know so it's like no you actually couldn't you couldn't you can't afford it you can't afford to pay me my worth but you can acknowledge my time welcome to the one up project Money is fuel that that allows you to do things. It doesn't need to be taboo. What you don't want to do is wake up at 65 realising you did something you hated and have regret. Go and find people who will give you advice for nothing. This is a space for personal growth and money chat with new perspectives every Monday. This bit of content, listening to this, is going to be a small little breadcrumb of something that makes them think a little bit differently. For all the things we were never taught but should have been, at the end of the day, the most important person is yourself. And if you're not happy with your own choices then you're never going to be happy. Kia ora everyone, welcome back to another episode of the One Up Project podcast. I would like to introduce everyone to Latavia Twalasia-Totai, who I have had the pleasure of getting to know recently. Uh, her main role currently sees her as the project manager of Young Women, Money and Work for the YWCA Auckland, an organisation that supports women and non-binary people challenging inequality. Latavia has so many layers to who she is, having achieved both so much both professionally and personally. I can't even begin to go into the depth of impact you've already had just through the work you do and honestly it's amazing and incredible and you need to be acknowledged for that but ultimately something I've come to understand through our limited chat so far is that you are a woman who exudes a lot of passion and love for what she does it comes across very clearly and authentically and you do it with a really strong level of empathy for both yourself and the people who you interact with, um, which makes that that passion a producer of real action, which I think is super exciting and a massive reason for why I wanted to bring you on today to, to share your story around money and empowerment and, and everything else. So Latavia, thank you so much for being here. I do really appreciate your time. How are you? I'm great, Sarah. Wow, you're giving me Terry. I'm, you're gassing me up. My head's getting big. I'm Always. Feeling, thank you so much. I'm really honoured to be here. Such a fan of your work and your multifacetedness. So I'm excited for, for this corridor today. Yeah, no, thank you. I do honestly respect so much of what you do and what you've achieved. It's amazing. So I suppose where I want to start is looking back on your early years of your life. I mean, you're still very young, but looking back on those early years... Uh, is there anything you see within that time as being, I suppose, a pivotal part of of the things you do now um, and, and the opportunities and challenges that both came as a result of that? Yeah, 100%. I think the people who raised us, our village, are always really vital and integral to our money stories. And I look back and I think of my dad and how he approached money, um, rest in love. But um, he was very, very generous. And he was the type of man who would spend his near entire paycheck on me and my cousins during our school holidays, especially my cousins who didn't have father figures in their lives. And so, you know, a lot of people would say, like, that's frivolous and, like, how thoughtless, you know, that he didn't think about his bills and the future. But I guess looking at it from a strengths-based point of view, it really, um, I guess, embedded in me the importance of people over things. And although I've needed to unlearn some of those things and gather my own tools to be able to give from a place of abundance rather than um, out of also my survival (laughs) kit. Um, I really like hold that close to me is that I'm really passionate about experiences, about people and I see money more as a means and a tool for people to be able to not only survive but thrive Mm. 
And then on the side of my mum, I watched her, like, my mum raised me as a single mum on the benefit. So I watched her big wins for our, like, bare necessities. Mm -hmm. So for my stationery, like, she would swallow her pride at the wins offices. Um, And I saw, like, through her interactions with money, the importance, I guess, of um, systems that create a safety net. And I think often people just see people other people who are living in poverty and just think like oh they should work harder but it's not as simple as that like there's a lot of hurt people uh, a lot of people who have been victims of intergenerational poverty intergenerational trauma and everything that comes with that and they're trying their best and they're doing the best um, they can with what they have and I think seeing my mum's interactions with money kind of gave me a deep sense of empathy for our like most marginalised people and that a lot of people are just trying the best that they can. Yeah, so I guess hopefully that answers your question, Sarah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, something that you mentioned is that empathy that you developed and I think that's one of the amazing qualities about you. But I also wouldn't blame someone within that situation to feel resentment and... Mm and start to feel only resentment around that situation and struggle to, like, unlearn those behaviours that you were referring to. Like, for you, was that something you experienced or how did you move past that? Oh, 100%, you know, especially as a kid and you see... I'm I'm sure all of us have been in situations where we see what other kids have, you know. Um, No matter where you kind of start in life, there's always people who may have more. And, you know, you see that and I'm like... Because we didn't... I didn't grow up with a car, you know, so I'd always just think, oh my gosh, it must be so nice to be picked up from debating and things like that. Um, But it took a lot of, I guess, like inner work, you know, and understanding people's capacity, um, whether it's friends, whether it's family. It's like, this is actually all that they could do. Um, This is their capacity to be able to love me and this is my capacity to be able to love them. And I guess resources and things play a massive role into that. But, you know, I've definitely had to go to therapy, which is such a privilege to be able to unpack things and unpack my relationships with people. And, like, money is so deeply entrenched in our relationships, eh? And, Absolutely, yeah. you know, we've all got our stories and we've all, I'm sure, had tensions in our households no matter what they look like. And I think I can empathise with, um, although, like, our struggles may not be the same, we all have them. You know, and I'm just like, even when I'd look at friends who had who were very wealthy and things, I knew that they didn't get a lot of time with their parents or there are other things going on. So it's like everyone has their struggles and I guess kind of having empathy for others also means having empathy for my own and my own village. Yeah. Having that compassion and that empathy for yourself, I think sometimes can be the hardest part. You know, we, we can often feel things for other people and and feel that empathy for others but to give that to ourselves and kind of acknowledge that it's okay to feel any kind of way and then to move on from that is quite hard yeah 100 percent you know we're our own like kind of biggest critics say like that inner voice and it's like training that inner voice to try to be a bit positive sometimes and I guess people always talk about self-love eh and I was like I'm just working on self-like to be honest yeah I'm gonna like myself I want to accept myself yeah it's like the body love um movement and people are like what what about body acceptance yeah that neutrality neutrality yeah Yeah. exactly yeah and and something else you mentioned around resources and support being really key and how systems are a core part of that 
like you touched on things like therapy, but I guess from a relationship with money perspective, are there any resources or support that you pulled on or that maybe you wish you had that would have been a pivotal part of like healing that relationship yeah, with money? Yeah, 100%. I think conversations about money like in schools would have been really helpful. I went to a Decile 5 high school in um, West Auckland, so I was exposed to different like socioeconomic backgrounds and everything but I went to school with people who I knew had parents with million dollar businesses and I also went to school with people like me with a single parent on the benefit Mm. and I guess those conversations in school around class and money would have been really helpful I guess for all of us to have empathy for each other because like we often talk about how um, it's no child's fault that they're born into poverty Um, but children uh, like what I wonder is why empathy has a timeline because how do children all of a sudden become teenage delinquents and then become doll bludgers mm. you know like um it's, why is there a cutoff point for when we empathize with people yeah um, so I think I think like we always talk about like financial literacy in schools um and I guess it's, it's like okay come on yeah obviously that should take place but also understanding our emotions you know, should be something that's also taught in schools. But I wish I knew about, like, financial mentors at social services and all the funding kind of around those and outside and, I guess, financial services and advisors and, yeah, just – and also just, like, the basics. And I think we are talking about it, Sierra. I, I was teaching a financial literacy course at a Decile 1 school out south and I asked, I think, like, 70 students, like, um, who's got a bank account? Who, who's got an FPOS card? Um, and only three of them could put their hands up, and they were all 17, 18, about to head out into the world, and most of them were already working to support their families. And it just kind of um, says a lot about the gaps in in terms of our curriculum, but also in, like, our society with, you know, because it's not just teachers' um, role to educate our communities because they're already overloaded and underpaid, but that's a conversation for another day. It seems like there's, to your point around actually talking about it and learning about it there's like a lack of transparency because you know you can go to a school as you mentioned that has like a diverse range of backgrounds and wealth amounts and that kind of thing but there's still no transparency over what impact that has on a different person's life and why that's relevant and what that means for what resources might be more relevant to different people and I mean it plays into the money stigma doesn't it that a lot of it just seems to be brush under the rug and like hopefully you'll just pull through and work it out in the end yeah which is a ridiculous thing to expect of someone without the proper support 100% and I guess it really plays into that kind of contentious topic around privilege and um, disadvantage and different barriers people face and Mm. um, with our work at um, the YWCA a little plug absolutely (laughs) you go um, (laughs) we're really focused on intersectional feminism and like looking at the different kind of barriers we all face privilege is such an uncomfortable conversation for a lot of people but the way I kind of try to approach it is that it's not a call out it's a call in for us all to be a part of it and I know that there's been times where I've been homophobic you know there's times where I've been classist and ableist um, and that speaks to my privilege and not having to interact or be marginalized in those ways in the same way I understand that I've faced barriers when it comes to racism and sexism and poverty so as someone who has the access now you know you know both gone to uni and things and you you get 
kind of that access to education and you're able to articulate things differently mm. in ways that people start to listen and navigate systems and it's it's awkward I guess to navigate gained privilege it's that social mobility I guess that my parents could never have but also I don't want anyone to suffer or anything like I don't think that surviving trauma should be the only way to build resilience <laughs> like everyone goes through things it's important for us to have those tough conversations with ourselves mm. and acknowledge like what privileges have I faced that have also contributed to me getting here as well as the hard work which is obvious like people work hard mm. um, but sometimes our hard work can get us further if we start at a different place absolutely yeah I think what you just said was so powerful especially around the privilege conversation not being a call out and you know, reading a book at the moment called The Conversation, which is about racism in the workplace. And the way the conversation is sort of brought up is like the word racism, for example, or the word privilege, it just gets you or gets a lot of people up and, you know, and I've been like that before, like thinking like me, like could never be yeah but then learning about what subconscious bias is and how that plays into things and it's it's not a call out it's an acknowledgement of something that's already exists and that actually we could harness and probably utilize to create a more equitable society that I'm sure everyone wants if we were just a little bit more transparent and comfortable with that conversation but as you said it's one of those things that especially And unfortunately, I suppose a person of colour needs or they end up having to learn how to articulate that in a way that resonates with the person that has the privilege or Mm. whatever, which is exhausting to have to do that for something that you've experienced so clearly your entire life. Yeah, 100%. And I really appreciate you hearing me. And I think, you know, the ways that we harness it just I think really speak to our integrity I think an example of that is the way that you use your platform you know sharing your platform with other people um, especially those who may not have the tools or understand all the talent and the hard work as well um, to create this kind of community that you've done but you're not only using it for yourself you're sharing other people's stories and using that agency for others and I think that speaks a lot to who you are as a person but also of the potential of so so many of us to utilize that privilege and kind of I guess share it <laughs> with mm. others or make more space for other people to come through thank you first of all and also I think a powerful part of that that not enough people recognize is that there's a lot of power and strength in saying that you don't know enough or that you don't know something and that you're learning and you're on that journey like you know for example around privilege like I don't know everything about my own privilege or about how that has impacted me and my life or about anything and I'm on that journey to learn that and it's okay to admit that I'm not fully aware of of that yet but I think that's a part of the fear especially and it's similar to the stigma within money is like admitting that you don't know is admitting you feel like I I don't know maybe you feel like you're admitting that you are a part of the problem, but it's more about actually just trying to work through what's already exists yeah. right in front of us. And I guess it's like it's like okay, this is a system in which we were born into, mm. you know, um, like the patriarchy and capitalism, I guess, and um, it leaves some people behind, you know, 
but it's not actually like we as people, something that we consciously try to do every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess it's a responsibility on all of us, no matter who we are, no matter um, what communities we belong to, to unpack that mm-hmm. within ourselves and within our families. And I think that's really powerful to do that inner work. But mm-hmm. it is so hard and confronting, eh? Like exactly what you were saying, Sarah, around like, it's like, okay, I'm admitting that I don't know this. And, mm. you know, so often we... Do you swear on this? I don't yeah, yeah, you oh, can't. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was like, you know, we, we shit on people because um, they don't know something. But it's like, mm-hmm. you don't know what you don't know. And once you know better, you can do better. And I think that's something so important. Completely. It just reminds me of also the conversation around vulnerability and that people see vulnerability as weakness, but actually you're more susceptible the, le- the less you're willing to be vulnerable and it's kind of that same thing as like if you're not acknowledging what's already existing then you're not you're more susceptible to it affecting you and others more I think than just actually yeah being a part of growth within that thing 100% because it catches you off guard Mm. because you're trying to hide it all the time and Mm. then when it just bursts through I guess like when it comes to holding things in your emotions your vulnerability you're, like, shocked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you're constantly trying to, like, safely, like, talk about things that are hard, then when you're upset about it, you're like, okay, I knew this was coming. Mm. Yeah. Money is such a tough topic to talk about because it's so deeply entrenched in um, our experiences and our privilege and our disadvantages. And often um, we think about money as um, things that we didn't have, you know? Because, like, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, like... I'm like, the lunches were atrocious. The one. It's so buzzy, Sarah. Sometimes I'm like, how is this my life? This is so random. I'm sure you have moments like that too where you're like, I'm really living my dream life. I know you're moving to Bali, period. <laughs> you know, like those kind of moments. Like um, mm. I used to like watch breakfast before walking to school and I'd have no lunch. And I've appeared on breakfast twice, you know, and both times advocating for my community and also advocating for to highlight marginalised voices and make changes in our society. So it's just those kind of full circle, I guess, moments where it's just like, okay, this is, I guess, gained social mobility. How do I use it? Mm. Yeah. When we spoke before this conversation another time, you spoke about something, the concept of poverty of aspiration. Could you please explain to us what that is? Yeah, it was something I I kind of came across when I was reflecting on my life and things. And I think... Because firstly, when it came to like material poverty, um, I didn't know that I was growing up in severe poverty until I was in one of my sociology classes, which is kind of laughable because I was sitting there and they were talking about the indicators of severe poverty in New Zealand. And I was like, oh, my childhood very much ticks these boxes. Um, So I was like, oh, but then I was like trying to kind of um, understand how I was here at university on scholarships. And I was like, oh my goodness, firstly, I want to acknowledge myself (laughs) for being here despite Mm -hmm. ticking all these boxes but also it's not that alone I know it's not just hard work because I grew up with people who were smarter than me you know who were more charismatic than me um, and they should be sitting there too and I was looking at the points of difference in our upbringing and I guess I was thinking I was like how important it is to have people believe in you and a lot of people don't have people who believe in their dreams or or who are able to or have the ability to express that and the time to 
So, for example, when I talk about how I didn't, I may have had material like severe poverty in New Zealand, first world, I certainly didn't have poverty of aspiration because I've always believed in myself. I've always thought I was the shit, Sarah, and that's a problem. Mm. (laughs) But it's because I come from especially strong women who told me I was the shit. Mm. So, like, for example, my auntie Feli, she still works at the same factory job. I would, it was, it's such a depth. Oh, I don't know, it's it's hard to explain, but this feeling of someone working overtime so that I could do debating and so that I could do all my extracurriculars at school and be passionate about community and about inequality, it's because my auntie helped keep the lights on, you know? And so that kind of understanding that I have people like her, people like my auntie Matalena and like the village kind of believe in me and believe in like my gifts and talents is something that has continued to drive me. So when I was sitting in that lecture theatre, I was like, okay, I didn't just get here just based on me being like, I can do it. (laughs) Like Mm. it's because people spoke life into me and that's a real privilege and something I don't take lightly and I hope to be someone who speaks life into others as well. Mm. You absolutely are, I can assure you of that. Uh, but I loved when you mentioned this because it's something in a same for me a privilege like I didn't even understand that I had until very recently when I was kind of thinking about why I have such big aspirations or dreams that seem pretty unrealistic like why do I feel that that's possible um, and it is because I was constantly surrounded by people who repeated phrases like you can do anything if you put your mind to it. Like, you can do whatever you want. You go, like, just never putting limits on my abilities. Mm. And I think that in itself was obviously empowering, but on a subconscious level that meant I didn't then put limits on myself moving forward. And I think it's easier to then do something with that belief when you're also not worrying about survival. Yeah. So when you're at that, if you're in poverty or you are struggling with many other things outside of just your own mental well-being, it's so hard to, you can't just push through with a, the self-motivation, can you? There's no amount of inspirational TikToks mm. um, that can pull someone out of poverty. And I often tell people, like, you can't simply budget your way out of poverty, mm. you know? There's so much work to it. It's that inner work, it's wraparound work, and nothing exists in silos, you know? There's that mental health aspect that you mentioned. There's family responsibilities, cultural obligations, and just like, trauma as well around money, and just inherited debt as well I know a lot of my mates their parents had to put bills under their names and sometimes we weren't able to pay them so they had bad credit before they even like left high school mm. you know those are things that people are facing it's uh, it's not just a lack of want uh, mm. you know there's so many things at play and when it comes to money it's so important that we acknowledge those different things that people are facing mm. I completely agree from a from a financial perspective how would you, and because I know you've spoken to many people about this from a financial literacy p- perspective, but how would you tell someone to go about starting that journey? Yeah, 100%. I guess it's like back to basics, eh? and it's about learning the basics, like mm. first knocking out your debt, you know, starting with mm. the high interest and everything, the snowball, and it's the things that we know, but a lot of people in these spaces don't, but I'd also recommend them to go to, there are 
so many different social services that have funding from MSD and Oranga Tamariki to help you reach those goals of kind of getting out of survival mode and running from loan sharks and things. So I would highly recommend people to go to organisations like Whanau Ola, like um, Good Shepherd, FinCap have a list of different financial mentors um, and services that are completely free um, for for families and communities to use and to reach to reach into, I'd highly recommend reach because often, well, I previously worked as a financial mentor at a Pacific Social Service, um, and often people wouldn't come to us until their car's about to be repossessed, which is heartbreaking. But if you can get there before then, I would just highly recommend it to create not only a plan to get out of debt, but then where to go from there in terms of building wealth. Absolutely. And I'll put some of those links to those things in the description as oh, well because fantastic. I think, yeah, oftentimes you've got to make it accessible. If it's not there, easy to click. You can't expect yeah. to be Google searching. Absolutely. Um, and, yeah, I suppose through the podcast, something I always try to do is, is never make an assumption that anyone knows anything because even the people who were, in air quotes, educated, a lot of times – still don't fully understand, but then at that point are too embarrassed to admit that they don't understand. Yeah. Or if you don't know anything at all, you don't know where to start, so you don't even know the right question to ask, first of all. It's like, I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. It really always does come back to those basics, like debt, emergency fund, I feel like are the two core ones. But then something I've I've seen a lot is the pressure to do everything at once becomes overwhelming. Like, yeah. oh my God, I'm, I'm under on this and I can't do this and I can't get on top of this and it just feels like you can never, ever, ever get ahead. And I think that's where picking one thing and focusing on that is going to give you the m- momentum to go to the next thing. Yeah. I heard this financial advisor talk about the different ways to pay off debt. So we often talk about snowball and avalanche being uh, either you pay off the highest interest debt first or the smallest debt first. And I've always heard financial advisors talk about paying the highest interest debt first, which always made total sense to me yeah. because you want to, you know, knock down the one that's actually costing you more ultimately. But this ad- of other advisor I was talking to gave me a different perspective and said, well, actually, sometimes it's more motivating to get the small wins and to just like stack the wins. Mm. And so, you know, if you're someone who's driven by that, like, validation of your own effort then maybe starting off with the smallest debt and knocking that out is like oh I can actually do this yeah like that reassurance from yourself that you can set a goal and follow through is sometimes empowering as well but it often comes back to knowing yourself which is a big ask for someone who's at the very start of trying to knock out debt so but I guess it's um, it comes to, I've seen often you've talked about personalising your approach, mm. you know, personalising your budget, personalising your approach to your finances, and I guess, um, like, that reigns true, like, when it comes to debt as well, like, customising what works for you, but I guess that comes after trial and error. Exactly, you know? that's the thing. A lot of it is trial and error too, and I think yeah. not many people want to talk about that because it seems counterproductive yeah. to maybe put effort towards something that, ultimately didn't benefit you as much as something else or not as fast as something else but oftentimes it's the only time uh, only way you learn how to get ahead in a way that makes sense to you from a financial perspective I always think of I look to like my family and my village often to think of different approaches to money as well as other solutions for other things in my life Um, and one of my aunties um she 
she went into corporate from community and something I really admire that she does is she has a spreadsheet on Excel and she has everyone in her household's income on it and their budgets and the different accounts that they have and they do it as a family and so the kids are in the room as well and even though you've got one that's three and one that's seven they're talking about money and they're not talking about it in fear you know they're taking control but they're taking control as a collective and like for example, like some of the categories they have is like a fight live lovey account, which is in regards to like cultural obligations, like funerals or weddings or um, maybe just like life shocks that kind of come up, um, but they have an account ready for that. And each person is contributing based, I guess, around their income, like a percentage rather than a certain amount. But that's something that works for that family. And I think it's something that could work for a lot of different Pacific families as well if we kind of smat, like destigmatized and demystified money. And I think it's, it's a testament to what you said around personalizing things for yourself, but also for, for your collective as well, because Absolutely. we don't exist alone. Because yeah. um, I, I live alone. <laughs> I live in my <laughs> flat and things. And you're heading out and you're moving. And But I guess for those with like kids and things, you know, those Absolutely. are things to think about or people who live with their siblings. What you said around having those conversations in a space where it's without fear and also not as a result of an argument or like a conflict. And so we're not always associating money with conflict, which obviously gives it negative connotations. And I think something else that can come out of that fear and that conflict a lot is shame. Mm. And shame and money, sadly, seem to be linked together quite often. And it's a pretty destructive emotion. Have you seen that shame take effect in your community from a money perspective in any way or your space oh 100% I think I touched a bit on it when I talked about people not coming to our social service Mm. until they're about to lose their car and unfortunately it's kind of um, the threat of losing something or the threat of like homelessness or um, often people wouldn't come to us until they're about to get kicked out of their homes and things. But also, I guess, in regards to giving money when it comes to, like, church and culture. And I also understand how beneficial it is, that sense of belonging, and to belong to a community and to give back to others and that sense of service. Something we talk about and I've talked about with my family is giving from a place of abundance rather than a place... Because my auntie told me, like, as soon as you start feeling resentment, that's when you should stop. Mm. You know, you should give with an amount where you're feeling loving, where you're loving. But I guess it's hard to have, like, boundaries and things. But I've seen it manifest in terms of people going without their necessities in order to not look bad in front of their community, which is tough. Like, and we all do it. We all sometimes um, associate our worth with our productivity or our worth with our output. And I think money is an example of that, like, looking rich rather than being rich and people are so you know want to have nice those nice things and I guess it's about that inner work that we do as well it's like unpacking it's like okay no I'm intrinsically already worthy why am I trying to show my worth by buying things but I've definitely seen it. I think often um, whether it's with my own family or like serving at, a, at the social service but also with my friends who are very wealthy as well I've, I've seen them try to like one-up each other and things and I'm like that is just not a flex to me. <laughs> yeah. I really don't care about the batch that your parents got that you didn't get. Like, yeah. If it's my friends who are first-time home buyers and things, or even if they're generational homeowners and they've bought another house, I'm like, okay, I love that. I love seeing your wins. But I don't think it's like a flex 
<laughs> sometimes like if it's just money it's about people um but I guess we all have different approaches to what success is but sometimes people pretending they've got more than they've got you know and it's just like no you're already and you know you're like for me like I gauge my kind of worth and who I am who I am based on like what kind of daughter am I what kind of sister am I um what kind of friend am I what kind of person am I am I living a life of integrity that I'm proud of and it's okay that my Toyota Toyota Vets is looking rough she works absolutely <laughs> from, from, from A to B <laughs> that's, that's all we need absolutely that you know it's I guess it's about living a life that you're proud of but it takes a lot to get to that point and I want that feeling for everyone, mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I was going to say, how did you establish, like, what you tied your self-worth with? Because I am assuming that maybe that wasn't something, you know, that happened straight away. Yeah, no, 100%. I guess it's just based off my, like, family and how I've seen them. Because we've never had a lot of money, so it's not something I've... Right. Like, I've got no desire to be, like, super, super rich. I just want to um, be secure, you know, have that security, and that's something that we've never kind of had and create some intergenerational, I guess, kind of wealth or something to pass on to my kids. But I guess I kind of gauged that, like, belonging in my community and that not only having to look like money. Often it looks like our time, you know, and I, and I think I put a massive worth these days on my time and I've had instances where I've spoken at events and I've spoken on panels and I never knew you could get paid for those because I never, and we've talked about this. I was like, oh, I, I'm like so honoured to be asked. And it came to a couple of years where I was emceeing events and speaking at events with thousands of people. And I sat down with a friend who was Pākehā and she said like, what are you charging? And I was so confused. I was like, what do you mean charging? Because none of my friends or my family before me charged. And she's like, I charged $1,000. And it was something we both did. And I got a um, basket that had kombucha in it. And I'd never drank kombucha in my life. I thought, Sarah, I thought the, the Coke was off. Oh, I was telling everyone, I was like, I mean, oh my on. gosh, I think, I think the expiry date is, because I just had never tasted it before. Um, but you're really going to pay me in kombucha for my time and for traveling outside of Auckland and so it was a massive wake-up call for me to value my time something that was kind of life-changing for me was I was thinking about getting paid for your time and paid for your labor and things and I was just like oh my gosh people talk about being um paid for your worth pay me my worth like I need to be paid for my worth and then I had this like epiphany I was like well if you're paying me my worth it would be billions and billions of dollars and you're constantly Mm. be paying me so you know so it's like no you actually couldn't you couldn't, you can't afford it. You can't afford yeah. to pay me my worth, but you can acknowledge my time mm. and paying my time. And I guess that's what emboldens me to ask to be paid for things because it's an awkward conversation. So I guess those kind of um, epiphanies we have in our lives based on either life shocks or the people that raised us have been really integral to my views on myself and money. But like you said before, it's a journey. Like, I don't know what I don't know. There's so much I don't know. We're constantly learning. And I think one of the most amazing things you kind of touched on and that I try to be is to be teachable, Mm. you know, and learn from each other's stories and things. Mm. Yeah. Everyone go back 30 seconds and just re-listen to that entire thing because – just I could not I could not highlight or put like just that that whole thing was perfect what you just said and you're exactly right no one could pay you your worth and to be acknowledged appropriately is the most important thing yeah that 
there's self-worth and money is definitely tied so much together. Reflecting back on your own relationship with money, if you could sum it up with the ebbs and the flows, and we've gone into some of it with how it's sort of changed over time from maybe what it was, your earliest memory of it, to what it is now, what has that development been? So my earliest memories were like, dodging loan sharks and things so it was something I was so scared of and I think where it's developed to something because I guess I've had access to university and also to friends who have kind of similar thoughts and also those who have very different thoughts because I don't want to be stuck in an echo chamber so I guess from fear it's kind of moved on to kind of just understanding of the system and capitalism how it works its roots how it marginalizes my community and how I've been marginalized from it but also how I've just got to make it work for me and make it work for my family, make it work for our communities. Because I guess you can simultaneously find like the problems in a system and kind of fight for change, while also understanding it's the one that we live in and that people still need to thrive under, like w- within it too. So I guess I, I see it more as a tool now, um, mm. as a means to be able to live the life um, that I want to and that I deserve to and that my community deserves to. So I guess from it being like the scary thing that's chasing us to like a tool that I can control, that I have the privilege now to have a bit more control over. Mm. Yeah. I love that so much because you can definitely see how on one side it's the thing above you, like the rain cloud, the thing you can't get away from yeah. versus that switching and you standing on top of that dollar sign and it being an enabler for you to create a better life for yourself and the people around you. Something I find often is that people who have grown through different challenges often find themes that helped them to do this and we've, we've touched on a few of those, those things. But I suppose, are there any constants within that people helping you to believe in yourself etc that change the way that you approach life and still kind of have that influence on you as you continue to learn more things about who you are I think I often think back to like those kind of life shocks or those like pivotal moments that you don't know are pivotal moments at the time like Mm. it's I think life isn't like this movie where like this massive thing happens and then right after you're like, <laughs> like, you know, like Lizzie McGuire, like the yeah. side note, it's like, actually, that really impacted me. Like, yeah. it's more I look back and I'm like, oh, wow, this is why I do these things. So I think a lot of my kind of approach to things comes from um, my experience of poverty, I guess. Like, for example, we've talked a bit about it before. Like, sometimes I'm like, is this, was that my life? When it comes to money, I often think of economic um, harm and um, financial abuse. And how I didn't until recently know that that was a thing, but it's definitely been something that's been a theme in my life that I've witnessed. Like, for example, a partner of my mum's, she left, you know, an abusive relationship and she had that power to her because what a hard thing to do while we were out of the house um he like burnt down our entire house that we were living in all of our things and everything we had to go hide in a women's refuge in that moment like right there when I look back on it it's just really highlighted to me the importance of not being attached to things because we lost everything like photos and all the material stuff and luckily we had insurance the most important thing that my mum kind of highlighted was that we're all safe that we're all okay and I kind of look back on that and I'm just like okay it's people it's people it's people like that's the most important thing and also it highlighted to me the importance of healthy relationships and that hurt people hurt other people 
And I even have empathy for the guy who did that because I'm just like, you were in such a hurt place that that's what you felt like you had to do. It doesn't make it okay, but I hope you heal. <laughs> I hope you mm-hmm. not. A, and it's like, even with friends on like a smaller scale, it's really impacted how I view relationships and um, my circle. And I'm like, okay, maybe this relationship isn't serving me. Maybe it, it burned down my house. Maybe it did something. But I want you to eat. I want you to do well, just not at my table because this mm. isn't serving me. Um, and I think that's something I carry. And like when it comes to money, I think of like my auntie who's she's got arthritis in her knee and she's still working night shift at the factory. When she asks me, to take her to work at night, like it's the least I can do. Like a lot of the work that I've done relates to like my own lived experience and feeling very lucky to have like any kind of access that I do. We've got this project, oh, another plug. Please. Um, uh, the YWCA are one of the co, I guess, um, founders of a project called Mind the Gap, which is around um, the pay gap, the ethnic and gender pay gap. And I think we've talked a bit about this and I highlighted it at a conference that Sarah spoke incredibly on. Um, and it was, we often talk about the gender pay gap, which is horrific as well. Pakeha women getting 89 cents, 89 or 90 cents to the Pakeha man stolen, that's not fair. And then we also talk about how Pacific women um, get 75 cents to the Pakeha man stolen. The intersections in that but often we forget to talk about the Pacific men who get 80, 80 or 81 cents to the Pakeha man's dollar. Intersections and that acknowledging that the ethnic pay gap is a lot bigger but that doesn't mean that the gender pay gap is okay either. That That's horrible too and these they can coexist, those truths. Mm. And mm. I guess my kind of work, I think often like when I've been speaking out around the pay gap and pay inequity, I think of like my auntie in the factory and like, my nanny, who worked two jobs in the factories when she came to New Zealand, answered the call that New Zealand put out to the Pacific because they didn't have enough low-skill workers and, like, built industrial New Zealand, you know, on their backs, like, uh, underpaid and overworked. And, and when I'm in these kind of spaces speaking about it, and it sometimes feels like I'm yelling <laughs> and I don't want to, I think to their struggles and their experiences. We often talk about paying people for their time, but we they're like, oh, well, they don't have the qualifications. They don't, you know, they didn't go to university. They don't have degrees. But the work that they're doing is so vital and we've seen what essential services they are because my family worked all throughout lockdowns and it literally takes years off your life. That kind of work physically, there's a long-winded way of saying there's, there have been those pivotal moments, but I think it's more like the people and the places that have raised me that emboldened me to ask for more and to want more for my community, which is sometimes awkward to talk about. I look to mentors and like mentors who aren't even that much older than me sometimes, you know, who are a couple years older than me, who went through these things, who who make more space for others to come through and, you know, and I'm really lucky to, my boss, I don't want to make her head too big of me saying it, but I'm really lucky to work for someone who tries to make space and pass the mic and is on a journey to understanding their privilege too and because I think another conversation that we could probably have (laughs) you know for hours and hours is how sometimes it be our own people you know be women as well who work really hard to get to the top I guess and then they gatekeep you know and I can see I can empathize with them from a way that they've had to claw and scrape to get there and so you would have that fear of losing your spot. I don't think I've ever felt bad after I've given an opportunity to someone else. Mm. I have never, like, I've had people ask to do, like, radio interviews, and I'm like, 
Um, first of all, I sound like a cartoon. I'm all right. Um, I'll skip on the. So hearing my voice back in this, I'm like, oh, it's giving Nickelodeon. But, <laughs> but um, I guess you know when you give opportunities to others, like I just am a big believer. Maybe wishy washy, but especially on a finance a podcast. But I'm a big believer in the universe giving even more abundance to you and more opportunities to you. I got asked to do a radio interview and I said, I was like, I don't think I'm the best person for this. I think there's someone else who's better for this than me. And then a couple of weeks later, a friend of mine said she was offered to speak on a panel, but she said it aligned more with my interests. So she put my name forward for that. Yeah, which is so buzzy to me. You share opportunities like within your networks and you actually put people who you think maybe better or may have a different perspective to me it's like okay I've been on this radio station before there's an there's a need for diversity of thought and this person could give it to me like could give it to the space and so like that's been a big lesson for me I guess is like using whatever kind of gained social mobility I have to make more space for people and I think that's why I have such a deep admiration for when I see it like I said when I see it with you when I mentioned to you about how I was running and facilitating a panel of full um, of people of color talking about money and like straight away you said you'd share it on your platforms which meant so much to me because I know especially with those with a lot of followers like you charge for those posts usually and so it meant so much to me that you just wanted to elevate this mahi and this work so it's something I've, I hold very deeply and I'm and that's why when you said you want, you want to do this I'm there. <laughs> I mean I think the audience knows now after this conversation why you had to be on this podcast it is very clear and I, I think it's a really important so many important messages but one of them that comes through is that feeling of an opportunity given to someone else is an opportunity taken away from me and how that is actually so prevalent and digging into why that is is I think a journey for everyone to go through who has ever felt like that and and to realize the issue that that causes and the limitation that puts on people and society as a whole to actually grow and to actually develop I suppose to round up a lot of what we've spoken about today sometimes it can feel like having these discussions makes people who are sitting there listening feel like they don't know how to contribute to that conversation or how they can produce action rather than, I don't know, sitting and being ignorant to it. Yeah. What advice or thoughts would you have for people who are wanting to contribute to to that? Honestly, I think the most important thing is um, the inner work. So looking, looking inwardly and kind of being, I guess, being really honest with ourselves. Like, what privileges have I had in my life that have kind of elevated my opportunities and gotten me to where I am, you know, while also keeping in mind that hard work does play a part? And then what barriers have I also faced under the systems in which we live? And then having those tough conversations with our family members, Mm. you know, if you are safe enough to do so, I highly recommend them. Um, I've had some big conversations around homophobia in my household and how... I'm able to have them because that's not something I'm directly impacted by, but it's something that my, you know, um, family members are. If I'm safer, I'm in more of a safe position to do it because it doesn't directly impact me, Mm. then I should have those conversations. So I guess everyone says, I guess it starts in homes, Mm. but then like when you have those conversations in your homes, it impacts the way you vote, the way you interact with others, the way you work. And then also in our workplaces, I think it's so integral to like ask for more, especially 
for women around pay gaps. You know, if you have the opportunity, ask whether your organisation has signed up to Mind the Gap, which advocating for businesses and organisations to publish their pay gaps, both gender and ethnic. So I guess asking your organisations whether they are publishing it, because they have a hashtag and it's called hashtag just ask. Um, so asking for yourself, what's the salary band and things, but also asking for others mm. and having conversations, demystifying money, I guess, with your colleagues and with your friends. Um, and when you're aware of how the pay gap impacts different women differently, it's also about asking people who may not have parents who worked in the space or friends or networks, like um, whether they are asking for more. Looking at yourself, looking at the privilege you may have and the barriers and looking at how you can extend that to others in your everyday life is so important and I guess always remaining I guess teachable it was such an important thing and and reading up I love following the one up project and seeing like the different books you're reading like period I'm like okay yeah uh, I'm reading barefoot investor <laughs> you know but then yeah. also books like hood feminism um mm. hood feminism was really um pivotal for me in regards to understanding intersectionality which is just the big word for saying that we're all impacted by different power structures and power struggles in our lives so reading up if you can if you have the privilege to and just following different people I guess on social media and um, getting out of our own what is it silos and Mm. um, echo chambers of thought even sometimes when people have completely differing views to me sometimes I'd like to hear why you know why it is you know and then I guess sometimes sometimes it means I'll like oh okay maybe I think of it from that perspective like you said with the debt you know it's like oh okay that's a different way to look at it but then other times it just emboldens the reason why I believe what I believe but either way you're better for it but yeah I guess so that inner the inner work if you can do it having those conversations with your family with your friends and ensuring that you make more space and doing just whatever's the best you can with what you have you know and whatever that looks like for you and that you feel proud of yourself then that's enough I can't advocate enough for having that wide variety of perspectives around you too so that you are I suppose just constantly exposed to your point of view not being the only one and uh, for those who are learning to acknowledge things like their privilege if that's uncomfortable for you you know working towards understanding why that's why the privilege conversation is uncomfortable and I think that's also a place to start as well to then acknowledge what those privileges are Um, So I think that those are some really actionable points, actually, and something that all of us can contribute to. Uh, I wanted to thank you, Latavia, for your vulnerability on this podcast. You've been honestly so brave to talk about so much of the stuff that can be traditionally, I don't know, it's hard to talk about often and you know your own story and your own perspective is really special to have on the podcast so thank you for for doing that for us um I really don't think there are enough words in the English language that would allow me to articulate just how much I respect and admire you so thank you for coming on it's been like an actual honor and we're all so lucky to to have your perspective on on the one up project Come on, Sarah. You're trying to make me cry in my own <laughs> flat. Goodness. Um, yeah, Fafatitila Lava, thank you so much for your time, for your energy, for your platform, and for your thoughtful questions. Like, you put so much 
Honestly, the people need to know how much work you put into this platform and community that you've um, created and it's beautiful. I love to see it. Absolutely. Thank you, girl. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The One Up Project. If you want to find more stuff just like this, check out our other apps or follow us at The One Up Project on Instagram or TikTok. See you there.